Welcome everybody. Thanks for listening to Tools for Life, the Tint podcast. My name is Arantje. I'm a program manager at Tint. And today we have invited Dan from Enter the Now and Noria from Tint to talk about living a conscious life. Dan and Noria both often guide a meditation session during the mindfulness break every Tuesday and have also, when this podcast is coming out, just finished the first morning flow and focus course. Unfortunately, we do not yet have three high quality mics, so apologies for the quality of voice in this conversation. All info shared can be found in the show notes. Now let's find out how mindfulness influenced Nouria and Dan through their academic life and let yourself be inspired. Thank you both for being here, Dan and Nouria. Let's start with telling us, who are you? I am from meditation and mindfulness over the last year or a year and a half now. I guide meditations regularly. For instance, right now I've been giving a course for five weeks and I'm part of an association called Enter the Now, which is an association about conscious living. So we kind of envision a world in which people are live a more fulfilled life by being more in the present moment. Yeah, that's about me. Okay, and I think I'll take over. Uh, my name is Maria, and uh, some of you might already know me because I'm an event organizer at Tint, and uh, I've been supporting the recording podcast before. Um, yeah, next to uh, my work for Tint, I also study applied physics. I'm currently in my third year. So yeah, that's, uh, that's a bit about me. Oh, thank you. Can one of you tell the listeners what is mindfulness? So I would distinguish between two different things. For one, mindful living, so to kind of live a conscious life where you're very aware of the decisions that you're making, but basically living a very examined life. And so distinguishing between that and mindfulness as a meditation practice. And mindfulness as a meditation practice, I would describe as non-judgmental attention to the present moment. That sentence best encapsulates it. So it's really about noticing everything that appears without any form of judgment, without attaching meaning to anything, really just being with what is purely there, the raw sensation, sound of, of anything that appears in consciousness. So you're telling us that mindfulness and meditation aren't the same thing? Yes, so there, there are many different types of meditation, and mindfulness is one form of meditation. Yeah, I, I have something to add to that, because... When, when I talk about mindfulness, I indeed often think about li- living mindfully and being mindfully about a lot of things. So yeah, I would always like when I, for instance, giving uh, a course or a guided meditation, I always explain to the, the participants that you can practice meditation to become mindful. So meditation is an exercise and mindfulness is a state of being? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a lifestyle, a, a way of living in this. You can achieve that or deepen that or uh, yeah, practice that by doing meditation exercises. And um, how did you get into mindfulness yourself? Well, I uh, started with mindfulness uh, through yoga. I actually had a dancing teacher of mine he told me oh, yoga would really be something for you because I was telling him that I often feel quite stressed and yeah, that I was struggling with things like flexibility. And then he was telling me I was 17, so that's already quite some years ago. He was telling me, I really think yoga would be something for you. 
so I joined uh, yoga classes in, in uh, the sports center where I was by then. Uh, yeah, after every yoga practice, there was always a few minutes of meditation and through that I experienced it. So yeah, that really got me enthusiastic about meditation and I started doing it more often, looking up guided meditations uh, on YouTube. Yeah, that really brought me a lot of support in, in things like stress, but also a lot of other topics. And then eventually, after a few years, I, I got into university and I saw that uh, Tint was doing uh, <laughs> yeah, lunch break mindfulness uh, on Tuesdays and I joined it. And that really was the next impulse for me to really get deeper into mindfulness and yeah, learn more about it and get more experience. What about you, Dan? How did you get into contact with this? Yeah, so for me, I heard about how meditation can be useful by listening to uh, the podcast of the guy named Stan Harris. And uh, he also has a meditation app now that I use. And so I always had it in the back of my mind of, as, as oh, this would be useful to learn someday. And um, so one, yeah, about a year and a half ago, I often had trouble falling asleep because I found that uh, I had a lot of thoughts come to me at night and it just kept me awake a lot. And so when I, I, I started then using this app, to get myself to fall asleep much quicker, which worked quite well, actually. But um, it was only a few weeks later or months later when I went through a breakup that I really deepened my practice and that I wanted to do it seriously, not just to fall asleep, but actually uh, do it throughout the day and, and be do it in a more awake state. <laughs> and then also uh, within a few weeks of learning meditation, I uh, attended those same Tuesday mindfulness lunch breaks where I started to talk about it with people from Enter the Now, which I joined also a few weeks after that. And uh, here I am now. So I also have some experience with mindfulness. Um, not as positive as you guys, I can tell you. Uh, I've been sick for a while and a specialist told me that I should do some mindfulness to become more aware of my body, for example. And at first I fully disagreed to do that and I was really high in my my energy and it didn't work at all but um, in the end it worked out but what I admire and I'm not sure if I can do that is that you have been keep you kept doing this I wasn't able I quit uh, a couple of weeks later and then a couple of years later I tried again and again and again you know so how how do you manage to keep doing this Maybe I can start with making an impression <laughs> that I have also periods that I just completely ignore meditation and my Okay. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's completely normal. I think just as first as, as I just already was telling in the beginning that for me personally, meditation is a practice to live more mindfully. So when I notice that I can live very mindfully and I feel like I'm in balance, I'm grounded, I feel safe within myself and I'm happy, then I don't need it and I let it go of it. Uh, and of course, then I could also, if I want to sit down and, and do a little meditation, but I don't feel the need, so why would I bother to do it? But for me, I think it's uh, as soon as you got the hang of it, it is important to know when you can come back to it whenever you need it. So for me, it seems completely normal that you practice it a lot, then you let it go because you feel better. And then after a year, you think, well, once, quite a while ago, I did this and then it supported me. So let's try it again. 
Yeah, it, 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 you can see it as, as some sort of sports. You can do sports all the time if you like, if you want it, uh, and if you think uh, it's good for you to do it very often. But there's also people that do sports and then think, now I need a break, now I don't do sports, and then later they will start doing sports again. So yeah, that's my relation with mindfulness. It's also been quite vibrant with doing it a lot, doing it less, doing it not not at all, and then doing it a lot again. And yeah, it's been this sort of cycle for, for me. Do you recognize that? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually just that comes down to bad planning. Or the only way that I'll ever that I ever meditate in a day is if I do it in the morning, because then then I, I get it over with and it's done, and uh, it's part of my morning routine. It really helps start the day. But if I say that I'll do it some other time during the day, I I never get to it. It's always something that gets in the way. But uh, so yeah, that that resulted sometimes in going a few months without practicing practicing it regularly, but still doing the meditation once a week or so. But I really try and aspire to do it daily, at least 10 minutes a day. Because to use your uh, sports analogy, actually, you might feel like doing sports for a period and then not, but we know that it's healthiest for your body if you do sports every day. And then if you kind of extend that towards training the mind, you can say a similar thing, that it's still something that's useful to do. And uh, I, I found that, like I said, when I got into it, it was because I, I was in a bad place emotionally. And then once I got out of that, it's like, well, okay, I don't I don't feel so bad anymore. Do I need to continue with this? And and you, you kind of lose the motivation to then still go on and do it. I would say that it's still very useful just to practice your attention because it's hard, much, much harder to be in a mindful state and to live mindfully if you if you haven't practiced it in a long time your mind gets distracted well even while you meditate your mind is distracted like crazy <laughs> also good to hear because i recognize that as well I feel like my attention has minimally <laughs> <laughs> for me even after years of practice you have moments that you, you really feel clear and your mind is almost empty. But there's also moments that you sit down and it's one complete mess. And I think that's also just the beauty of, of, of meditation and mindfulness, that whatever is present within you, you just deal with the shit you have at that moment or the lack of shit you have at that moment. <laughs> is it connected to um, religion in any shape? Like, I don't know too much about it. There are many religious traditions in which meditation is reached, and um, most notably, even even mindfulness has its roots in Buddhism, I believe. But I'm not too familiar with the entire history, to be honest. It has been taken outside of the religious context to a very large extent. So the mindfulness that I teach or practice is completely free from any religious influence, and it's it's seen more as like a science of the mind that was extracted from a religious tradition. Mm -hmm. And uh, following up on that, spirituality and university or technical university might not always seem to go as well as um, at least we would hope. Um, did your relationship with mindfulness and meditation change when you went to university or were thinking about those? To me, they seem like two very different things, the technical world and the spiritual world. Is that even true, what I'm saying? I think that no matter what you study, we're all human. And I think that, that because of our human qualities, mindfulness is useful to, to get to know ourselves. We all have a mind. We all have a distracted mind most of the time. And we can all benefit from, from getting to know the mechanisms of its workings a bit more. Yeah, and, and, and now you're, you're talking about spirituality. 
And I'm not even sure if we can put all sorts of meditation and mindfulness under the label spirituality. Because for me, it's mostly just a self-development tool. And that's a far less weird term to mention within university. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a way of self-development, discovering about yourself, your qualities, the things you like, the things you don't like, and how you feel about a lot of stuff that's a lot more difficult in, in, in the University of Technology talking about feelings mm. and stuff like that. And that is indeed a contrast between how the culture is at university. I, I like to be in touch with how I feel and acknowledge that I experience emotions because everybody does, of course. But some, some people, especially in, in, in this harsh world of, of, of university and technology, uh, people try to hide it away. And that's really a pity because it is, there's nothing spiritual about having emotions. That's just human. <laughs> Do you need to talk about your feelings when you uh, practice mindfulness meditation? Can you also keep it to yourself, for example? Well, I would say that the, the aim of mindfulness is to observe it and notice them. Yeah, it's, you can completely keep it personal. It, you know, it's a it, whole thing of mindfulness and meditation is a very personal experience. That is most likely different for everyone. Uh, I also know, for instance, that the way of practicing meditation and mindfulness is very different for me and then anybody else. So what's different for you guys? What's the difference between your <laughs> practice? Yeah, I am very flexible in doing meditation and mindfulness. I do not do it in a very traditional way as sitting down, putting on some background music if I like, or keeping it silent and just sitting down and observing. What I really like is, for instance, putting on music and then start dancing. And when I start dancing and moving my mind gets empty quite soon and I really can focus on my feelings and it might be very weird for you to, to hear but to say it in a very weird way dancing can be for me a conversation with my body and my emotions and that helps me a lot with dealing uh, dealing with, with uh, for instance difficult emotions First, I have a question uh, for you about that. If I follow mindfulness with you, do I have to dance? Well, um, I'm currently, of course, giving a course about mindfulness, and I've been teaching them all the traditional uh, uh, exercises of observing your breath, observing your thoughts, doing a body scan, doing a visualization. But uh, tomorrow, actually, we will be doing the last part of the course. Yeah, I will actually encourage them to use everything we did before in moving. So I'll ask them to stand up and, and for instance, just move your hands or uh, uh, roll with your neck or just whatever you feel like. But experiencing the same state as uh, we did during the practices before, but then while moving. Because for me, that was a very interesting experience. And Dan, what about you? How, how do you work with mindfulness? I've been doing yoga for about a year now as well, which is very much about moving, feeling, how, how does it feel? And uh, the, the mind comes into play a lot. Like If you're trying to go deeper into a pose, why are you doing that thing? To, to have the flex of 
putting her face in your knee, wash straight legs, or, you know. Yeah. And, and, and then every day is different, and how do you respond to it each day? So one day you might be frustrated that you can't, you can't bend over at all, and then other days you get a lot deeper, and then why? And so definitely you can, you can bring a mindful state to almost anything you do, from playing an instrument to having a conversation with a friend. There, I find it very useful to, to simply observe yourself reacting to what your friend says internally and, and let them fully speak. Listen carefully to what they're saying. It, it can do a lot for your relationship. Yeah. Because a lot of us, like, instead of actually listening closely to what someone is saying, we keep thinking of what we're going to say next because we're self-absorbed. Really. The other thing regarding conversations is that we also can sometimes uh, respond very emotionally. For instance, if my partner would right now tell me, well, actually, I don't like you at all, I would definitely be super emotional, <laughs> of course. And I could start uh, reacting from those emotions and from perspective of protecting myself, proving him wrong or anything. Well, actually, and that's something I also learned through mindfulness, is that it is sometimes okay to be aware of your emotional reaction, but not letting it slip into the conversation. And I, I think that's uh, definitely one of the powers of meditation, or that it, it, it gives you more control over your life and how you want to behave. And that's uh, a good example of how it increases your emotional intelligence, your, your ability to relate to other people, listen to them, and to not burst out at, at people, which is a natural tendency. Because physiologically, it's like our, our brain gets hijacked by uh, the amygdala, which is part of the brain that, that is responsible for such emotional outbursts. And then it's like it's like we're not in, under our conscious control. So anything that we say just slips out of there, like pretty much from the from the unconscious mind almost. And uh, that's one of the things that, uh, or one of the epiphanies I had while meditating one day was that thoughts just appear from somewhere. Like no one no one can tell you where from, in the sense that you do not choose the next thought that you have. You don't choose, okay, now, now this thought is going to appear. It's just, it's just the next thought that appears is the one that appears. And, uh, and so it's, it it makes you realize how little conscious control you have over the thoughts that that appear. But then the upside of it is that by recognizing that you don't have to identify which, with each and every thought that appears. And so if you, if you suddenly start to feel anger and, and you keep thinking about your anger, that's going to feed it. It's as if you, you watched, you notice a little fire starting. If you throw a bunch of wood into the fire, it'll keep going a lot longer. But if you just observe the fire, eventually it goes out. So that's, that's kind of what we do with meditation. We, we observe in the first place, oh, there's a fire starting. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's very easy to, to be so in, in your, in, in your rabbit hole of thoughts that you don't even realize that you're thinking. All, all the negative thoughts that minutes later when you're not angry, you wouldn't ever identify with, that all those negative thoughts that you might have about a person when you're angry from that moment, they, they often go unnoticed in the sense that they just feed other thoughts and, and we don't notice ourselves going down that rabbit hole at all. We just think that that's, that's what is the most real thing in that moment, even though it's just a simple appearance that can be observed and will tend to fall away if you do. Yeah, I completely agree with you. But yeah, now now it sounds also a bit like it's super easy to uh, (laughs) 
to just stop identifying with your uh, thoughts and emotions. Yeah. But I must admit that in the beginning, when people were telling me this, when I just started, I was scared and I thought, well, but I identify with my thoughts and with my feelings. And who am I when all of this is no longer me? And that really could scare me in the beginning. I'm not sure how you experienced that. Yeah, of course, because you, we all have this sense of identity, but there's still truth to saying that the identity that we have is just a story that we tell people about ourselves. And so it's, it's really hard to pinpoint to the reality of it. It's just a, a bunch of neurons firing up in our brain saying, this is who I am. Whereas if you, you can say that a truer sense of who or what you are is awareness. Like that's what we all share in common. And that's what binds us all together. We all have this this prior state of consciousness before all of these thoughts appear and all of this distraction occurs. And that's that's kind of what we try to narrow down on in, in meditation, I would argue. This is in relationships. How can mindfulness help us during our studies, for example? Um, there's a lot of stressful situations, perfectionism going on, uh, burnouts. Can mindfulness help with that as well? Yeah, yeah definitely mindfulness helps a lot with stress. There's, there's in fact a trench where different different courses are given uh, called mindfulness-based stress relief, MDSR, that's specifically geared towards stress relief. But uh, just a general mindfulness practice is going to help a lot. And, and you learn the tools that you need in order to not let stress escalate, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so if you, for instance, if, if you notice that you're getting stressed in a certain moment, quote unquote, unmindful tendency is to, to, to let it freak you out and to be a little bit more, you know, emotionally aroused in the sense that you're going to, the, the next thing is going to come across a lot worse than it would have otherwise. And you'll be slightly more annoyed that day. And then that can like mm-hmm. snowball up. That's that fire you were talking about before. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the always negative thought patterns are always this vicious cycle and it, it, and and whenever you you keep keep it going it is like adding wood to that fire when you're feeling stressed if you just you if you notice hey i'm, I'm feeling stressed or I'm, I'm reacting in a certain way that i probably shouldn't or normalize what normally wouldn't and in that moment you try to pinpoint physically where do you feel the stress as in you just next time you're stressed sit down close your eyes and ask yourself, how is it that I know that I'm feeling stressed? Where is, mm. where is this coming from? And you'll find that it might be a feeling of being impatient. Like you're jittery. You don't want to sit still. Okay, well, I'll just observe that. See what that feels like to try to sit still anyway. But how does your mind react? How does your body react to you? You suddenly feel something heavy in your chest area. Notice that. And by just becoming curious about the emotion that appears, how do we even know we feel it? Where does it come from? And often things are, emotions are felt physiologically, but we might, we might frown with our faces without realizing it whenever we feel a bit sad or angry. Mm-hmm. But to notice that and to just, if you, if you are tensing your face, loosen it, see what that does. And you, you find that you can change your state of mind fairly quickly. And so by being more present, by noticing simply what is there, you have less of a tendency to, to be stuck in the past or the future with your mind. And that, that's always the cause of anxiety. Okay, but then I notice it. And then next time I notice it again. And next time I notice it again. And then I get frustrated because it's still there. Or it's there again. And it doesn't want to change. 
frustration is part of it. I have to deal with that as well. Which happens? <laughs> yeah, but it's it's all it's all in your mind. Like it doesn't have to be that way. So if if in that moment you you observe the feelings of being stressed and you fully accept it as well, so mm. don't try to push it away because if you if you put so no judgment. Away, yeah, exactly. That's that's the non-judgmental part. But if you approach your frustration with judgment, then then that produces. Another feeling about it, or another thought about it. So that—that's mm-hmm. how you get frustrated at being frustrated. Yeah, you're judging your frustration, saying, "Oh, it shouldn't be there," and then you're oh. almost annoyed that it happened. But if instead you just fully allow it to be, you're like, "Okay, this is this is my state right now. What's that like?" Mm-hmm. And then you notice, well, I'm alive. <laughs> my life isn't so bad right now. I just had this slight feeling of frustration that appeared. I'll uh, have to see how I deal with that. And you approach it from such a calm state that, that you're going to be much more productive at, at handling it, for sure. Then this is the part I think you would be helping me with when I follow the mindfulness course. For the course, both Ben and I have been mainly focusing on beginners. And this might be quite hard for, for a beginner to work with to realize the game frustrated, that's aggressive, right? Mm. Through that whole train of observing your frustration. So within a course, uh, these courses have been five sessions once a week. I've been mainly focusing on, on giving the basic techniques of starting with becoming aware of your thoughts and uh, all of that. But in, in the, the, the lunch break uh, sessions, we have more time, uh, that first set. But also, yeah, there, there's more space to do more experience uh, uh, practices and there's a whole variety of things uh, we do in, in the Tuesday breaks because there's many different people, so many different styles. Princess Margaret, our life coach, uh, loves doing visualizations. She takes you on a journey to a mountain and then become a mountain. <laughs> and just to feel how it is to be a mountain. To, uh, <laughs> to, to, to experience how confident a mountain can be. And then you can... Um, yeah, I myself uh, prefer to, to, to focus more on the body because I like uh, really the idea of the connection between the body and the mind. And I like to work with that, so doing body scans with all different kinds of sauces putting over it. Yeah, then does completely different things. Uh, so yeah, so in the lunch breaks, there's a whole zoo of, of things you can do, <laughs> actually. And what do you do? What do you focus on? Yeah, so um, in, in the, the beginners life and guiding, so it was a five-week course. We had uh, five different life meditations, but I, I sent them recordings in between so that they could practice and become more familiar with things so that I could take the classes to a uh, bit of a higher level. So I did actually introduce many of the things that uh, I just talked about. And uh, But the first, the first sessions always... For at least a couple of weeks, you have to teach beginners to just notice the breath, for instance, just 
or or just you know the sensations in the body, not not bringing all this theoretical stuff to it, or or to not bring thoughts and emotions, and because it, it gets more complicated. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and the the reason is for for any beginners out there that you start with, say, the breath, is that it's something that's just constantly appearing. There's nothing particular about it, except the fact that it just comes and goes and there's a natural rhythm. And it's just about as good as anything to pay attention to. And the reason we do that is to just train our focus. Because the first time you meditate, you notice that you can't even pay attention to 10 breaths without being distracted by the next thought. And so after a few weeks of that, you start to you start to train your attention, you become more focused, and then you're, you're more likely to be able to also notice thoughts appear in the same way that you notice the breath coming and going, and so too with sensations in the body and, and sounds in your environment, just notice, noticing anything that appears in this yeah. It's a lot. A lot of fun. It's rewarding because you you see a learning process, and especially when participants ask curious questions, you know that they're interested and challenging as well. Because I I've, I've talked about mindfulness with a lot of people, but mostly people that practice it themselves, and so then it's very easy to to just know what the other means or to agree on on. Mm. on concepts, but if you're really introducing it to someone who has no experience with it, you really have to put yourself in those shoes first and then think, okay, I can't just start with the mindfulness that I usually practice. And then also when uh, when they do have questions, well, when you have to explain something, it, the concept has to be a lot clearer in your mind than just a vague idea. Mm. And so it, it really helped me deepen my understanding of, of mindfulness as well. To say, okay, how how do you bring this across? How, which which words do you use to describe this and that? And then, and then you, you know, we get to. How is it for you guys to um, guide these sessions? Yeah, it 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 is for me in general difficult to to pinpoint why mindfulness or meditation is so important for people, regardless mm-hmm. whether they are uh, from. The university or uh, the most spiritual friends I have, it's it's in general difficult to explain how such an experience actually is. Okay, well, thank you for this uh, very clear information. I have one question, last question for both of you. I'm actually looking for like um, uh, a big eye opener you had yourself from maybe one of the students that followed mindfulness with you, like an anecdote or a big surprise that they experienced or you experienced yourself. What's like one big thing that you learned thanks to mindfulness? I think it's useful to explain how you can change your relationship to physical pain as well. Because there's a, a good example for that is if you start to, out of nowhere, feel this massive pain in, in one of your arms or in your back forever, you're often going to feel really bad about it, obviously. Pain is never pleasant, but we always, well, one of the things we can realize is that we, we amplify the negative effect of pain by thinking negative thoughts 
along with it. So, so when we when we have back and our pain, it's not, the pain in our back. It's not just mm-hmm. not just that we have the pain there, but we have the pain there, and we're thinking, oh no, I'm not going to be able to cycle properly tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Oh no, what does this mean? Or sports appointment I have this afternoon? Or mm-hmm. does this mean I have to go to the hospital? All these there's, yeah. there's a lot of thoughts like that that we don't even notice here, and. Um, that the exact same physical sensation of pain come after a super good workout you have. And then you'll feel good about the pain, even mm. though it's the exact same physical sensation. And so that really shows you how the, your perception of it, the light through which you view it, is everything. It almost matters more than what's physically actually there. The thing to do when you're in pain, just like with emotional pain, is feel the raw sensation itself. And if you do that, you're not distracted by all the thoughts that you have about pain. And then unpleasantness, such as muscle soreness from a workout, can become synonymous to back pain from a, a bad movement. Because both will go away eventually anyway. Mm. Can you remember your first time you experienced that fully raw and realized that you didn't have any negative emotions about it or thoughts? Well, I, I recall one day where I was, I had like the worst headache in my life. And I was really frustrated about it because it, it made me really unproductive that day. I was really tired. I was in a bad place emotionally. And so I did a, a meditation specifically geared towards pain about just focus on the sensation. And then with, with a headache, you might feel some kind of throbbing in your mm-hmm. head. And, but, but if you just notice that and you just, you, you, you experience the moment as the pain in that moment, you're much more at peace, weirdly. It's really, it's really strange. You think you don't want to amplify the pain. But in some sense, you're accepting it a lot more. You're thinking, like, okay, that's what's there. Let's let's see what it's like. That makes it a lot more bearable because if we keep trying to push it away, it just comes back to bite us in the butt. I always, I, I uh, experience a lot of pain throughout my years and I always try to explain before I saw it as a clown. I'm kind of not a fan of clowns and it's a clown following me and sometimes it comes around the corner and shows its face and you're like, ah, you're there again. Why are you still here? And you get really frustrated about that and when you can let that go, then you won't, first of all, won't get scared of the clown because you know they're there anyways. What's next? What are you going to do? Can you let it go and let it be there and focus on other things? Or are you trying to run away from it and hide from it and it's scaring you again, you know? So, yeah, I kind of, I often don't do this and then I get scared of the clown again. But <laughs> Instead of doing a mindfulness practice, I thought I would introduce something called RAIN. It's, it's an acronym, R-A-I-N. So, and it stands for Recognize, Allow investigate and nurture and it's something that's really useful to do whenever you notice that you're starting to feel stressed or in pain or whatever it may be it's it, it helps to take that pause first of all but that's always useful but then to first recognize okay what am i feeling so that that's kind of the whole the whole process and then once you recognize it maybe you can pinpoint it somewhere it's, it's stressed but i'm feeling it in my chest mm-hmm. then allow it to fully accept it allow it to be there Don't try to push it away, just intentionally let it be. And then investigate. So further investigate, okay, well, how, how do I, how might I solve this? Where, where is the problem really coming from? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm frustrated, but maybe it has something to do with that time in my childhood where I was treated this way. Just investigate it. And, and also there too, really feel where in your body do you, and can you pinpoint to any place where, where it's coming up? And then the last part is nurture of, of just, Recognize that you have the intention to make it better, 
think of possible solutions and, and try to approach. And and by that point, you're you're much in a much calmer state of mm-hmm. mind, and and you can even feel gratitude and bliss for being alive. That's always nice. <laughs> yeah, and that can occur in the midst of a, a bad experience if you perceive it properly or react to it properly. Something to take home with me then. <laughs> Rain. Good to know. Nuria, what about you? I was thinking of personal some time ago, like a few months. And it was mainly about, I was always struggling a bit with being too hard on myself. So yeah, pushing myself through things. And of course, that's not mindful at all. Um, let's stress that. <laughs> um, pushing yourself is not a good thing and not, definitely not a mindful practice uh, but I was struggling on how to find for myself a way to practice meditation without pushing myself too much and I've been struggling with that quite a lot the last year or something then suddenly I was meditating just together with a friend we just put on some nice music and we sat down and Yeah, basically we got in a very mindful conversation eventually. She really encouraged me to uh, also just follow my impulses and uh, that that is also fine. So from that point, I really had the insight and I really learned that it is also fine that if you have the impulse to just stand up and walk away or move or sing or talk or that that is all perfectly fine that you do not need to be hard for yourself and push that away because you're trying to meditate and sit down and do stuff like that. So yeah, from that point, I I realized that whenever I'm, I'm meditating and I think, oh, I want to say this out loud, I just let myself say it out loud. And that really supported me in being less judgmental to myself mm-hmm. and everything I do and experience. Because I learned that personally, I'm also encouraging uh, a lot of my, the, the people I guide uh, to do the same. And I, I'm always super proud of people when they met, to, to, decided to make their own choices. Uh, for instance, a few weeks ago, uh, I did a yoga technique in, in one of the mindfulness sessions, which is called alternate nostril breathing. Yeah, we were doing that exercise, and when we returned, and we always had a sharing moments, and one of the participants shared, well, I did it two times, and then I quit because I completely did not feel comfortable with it. And I encouraged that a lot. And then she started explaining that she had a nightmare that evening, which was about drowning. And when she was doing the exercise, she had exactly the same feeling of drowning again. So she quit. And I was so proud of her that she just decided to quit. She just listened to my voice and enjoyed that. I still had a very mindful experience because she made the choice. But that's the awareness that you are constantly talking about, being aware of what you need and what is happening in your body. Definitely. I thought it was a very beautiful experience to just see that someone dares to do that and decides to do what is good for them. It's beautiful. Wow. <laughs> well, I think we can keep talking about this for a very long time. Definitely. <laughs> if people want to learn more about it, they can go to the Tuesday Mindfulness Breaks, I believe. Yeah. And also, if anyone's interested to hear more about Instagram, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram. 
<laughs> Great. We'll add the links in the description as well so that people can find it there. And of course, we'll also tell you some more about Tint. Thank you for both for being here. I learned a lot. Looking forward to hear more of your guidance. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Tools for Life, the Tint Podcast. All info and contacts can be found in the show notes. Have we piqued your interest in mindfulness? Every other podcast is a new mindfulness session provided by a member of Enter the Now or Tint. So don't forget to subscribe to the Tint Podcast. You can find more information about what Tint is up to on our website, tint-eindhoven.nl by following us on Facebook or Instagram, or by signing up to the newsletter. Want to learn more about Enter the Now? Go to their Facebook or Instagram. You can find more information about all of their events on their socials. My name is Arantje Rosalina, and I'm looking forward to having you with us for the next episode.